Some episodes might not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Battle in Paradise begins as the party sets sail for the edge of the world, utilizing the map they obtained in the College of Ether to set out for the astral plane. With only three weeks to make the journey, and with the entire Blackrift Armada in close pursuit, the party is forced to plot a course through the Westward Straits, a mostly uncharted stretch of sea. Caught in unnatural currents, the party's ship is dragged to an island paradise where locals live an idyllic, peaceful life. But the longer they remain, the more it becomes obvious that something is wrong with this island. The party is unable to leave, Strange creatures live in the jungle. The locals suffer from extensive memory loss. Can the party track down the island's mysterious nature spirit and bargain for their freedom? And if they do, will they survive confronting the combined might of the Blackrift forces? Only the worthy will survive. Good evening, or afternoon, or even good morning, I guess. It just depends on when uh, when you're listening to this. So, I have a good news, bad news sort of scenario. If you've been listening to our past episodes, if you've been following me on social media, you've probably seen on several occasions where I kind of throw that, you know, financial aid sort of help type of thing. Uh, I've put up uh, ads for listener support. Uh, That's just like a monthly donation thing. You can pay like a dollar a month or up to like $20 a month, and it just helps us bring you a better podcast. Uh, We've kind of opened up the, the sponsorship thing for the episodes, and we have also, from time to time talked about doing other things like trying to make and sell dice boxes or do other raffles to help raise money for stuff with like a a fundraiser or something just as a way to be able to put together some money to have better equipment and this episode and our next episode are exactly why I've been trying to do that Excuse me. That's the one downside to live recording is I can't edit little stuff like that out. We had a nice little session that went for a good solid uh, five hours of recording time. The downside is is that for some reason either the microphones weren't connected properly or the microphones were picking up something extra, something else was emitting some sort of low-level noise. I don't know what it is. But I had tested the microphones and all the equipment out prior to setting up for the recording. And then I tested them again after I'd listened to the recording. And both times when I tested them, everything worked perfectly fine, sounded perfectly fine. But for some reason... When we, uh, when we set up to do 
the recording and actually recorded, there was this overlapping white noise that just flooded out everything. You couldn't hear, you could tell I was talking, but you couldn't make out anything I was saying. It sounded like my microphone was set up almost 10 feet away from me. Uh, my wife's phone microphone was set up and you could hear her better, but it sounded like something was right in front of the microphone, kind of blocking her voice directly. And James's microphone sounded perfectly fine. And um, so we're trying to still work towards getting better equipment because then that way I don't have to worry about the potential of technical errors happening and not having a way to go back and fix those issues. Because right now I have five hours of recording content that I could post, but it sounds absolutely horrible. And you guys as the listeners deserve much better than that. Uh, I just, and it would drive me personally crazy thinking that I didn't bring the best that I could try to bring. So I'm going to do something a little bit different for this episode and for the next episode. They're going to be a little bit shorter. They're not going to be our typical nearly two hour long episodes. They're going to be more like narratives. However, you as the listeners get to have a firsthand experience front row seat from my perspective as the DM. So I'm going to tell you a little about a little bit about what happened and where the game ended between this episode and the next episode tell you a little bit about what I saw firsthand happen in the role play because some of it was just absolutely hilarious <laughs> which is why I'm really frustrated that the recording didn't work out I'm still laughing at the shell spin slide remark um, which you'll find out about more later and then I'm also going to read to you a lot of what's coming straight out of this book so you guys can get a first-hand idea of what it is I read when I prep up various skill challenges, various combats, uh, the, the role-play between the NPCs and the players. Um, the last episode, before we had, when we last left off, the players had convinced Ambi to give them a an audience with Velithu. And while Velithu, the, the nature spirit, hadn't appeared physically in front of them, uh, he sp- uh, she spoke through Ambi to the players and said, if you really want to leave the island, I need three things from you. I'll use those three things to be able to um, connect our island back to the material plane, and you can be on your way. And they had to collect tear, uh, Dragon Tears, a Dryad's Favor, and a Satyr's Heart Song. Um, in the last episode, they got in there. They ended up saving a small pixie who was being tormented by fey-touched elves. And the pixie in- ended up becoming like a temporary sidekick that would help aid from time to time if he was able to. And so he, he does take on the, the class abilities of an actual expert sidekick and periodically either helps or uses skills to help aid and such, but doesn't, not so much into the gameplay where he's a full-scale character. He's just a second set of hands, eyes, and ears to give a little bit more of a 
somebody had to get somewhere really quick, but to give extra uh, help as needed. Um, and then they ended up finding the dragons after they ticked off a whole bunch of pixies, which they actually ended up doing that again in this last episode. And uh, they, um, they ended up giving up more tribute to avoid uh, confrontation with the pixies again. But the last time they had the confrontation with the pixies, they gave up this divine healing pearl, which uh, they were then traded a bottle. And the bottle possessed the ability to summon three fairy dragons. And those three fairy dragons, if told uh, decent jokes, would make them laugh so hard that they cried, and that would allow them to give up the tears. It took a while to pull it off. The players were specifically getting frustrated, or James was getting frustrated. If you listened to the last episode, you definitely know about that. (laughs) And uh, they eventually succeeded and got tears so from there they slept again and they had realized a couple of different things first off they realized that the overall environment the plane of the fairy seemed to have slowed down the maturation process that Beryl was going through to the point where it was still happening it was just happening happening at its slowest point which told them one being on the plane of the fairy was going to uh, slow Beryl's growing process, which could have both positive and negative effects on Beryl. And two, that gave them the time they needed to be able to find the rest of those favors so that they could, in fact, get off this island, get out of the plane of the fairy back to the material plane so that they could go from the material plane back to the astral plane. Um, which they did, they did notice that. So from there, they had two tokens left to find. They had the, uh, they had the dragon's tears. They had to still get the dryad's favor and the satyr's heart song. So they came across other things. They found some more, uh, spell stalks, which... The spell stalks are temporary arcane focuses when when harvested properly. And the first time you use it, it gives you a plus two bonus to whatever you do when it comes to casting a spell. Plus two bonus on attack and damage. Plus two to your DC for a spell that requires a saving throw. Whatever. Um, so that being said, they got into the next day. And... While they dealt with the the um, the spell stalks, they then found a green grass-like me- uh, meadow, and this is the uh, this was called the Bountiful Flora. I'm going to read to you what I read here. It says this rolling meadow is filled with flowers that grow low to the ground. In truth, four petal-back lizards um, that were using the same stats as an Allosaurus except with the plant subtype, were asleep there. Four of them. So four large lizard-like creatures with grass and plants and stuff growing on them. Each petalback lizard is a large quadrupedal reptile 
with a garden growing over its head, back, and tail. Incredibly lazy petalback lizards sleep on the ground for most of the day, mostly buried in soil. Characters that have a passive perception of 14 or higher hear the lizards gently snoring. A DC 15 intelligence nature check detects the presence of the slumbering creatures. If the pedal back lizards are woken up, such as by a loud noise or the area of effect spell that targets the ground, then they rise up and they attack everybody in the area. But they only were going to do it for about four rounds. It says here 1d4 rounds. So it could have been one round and then wander off. It could have been four rounds. In this case, I had rolled a four. So it was going to be four rounds. Uh, because of the disrupted earth, all the creatures in the area have to make a DC 14 deck saving throw or be knocked prone. So, Esther ends up pulling off a Mercer without really thinking about what's going on and just kind of wanders up there. Ooh, what's this? Da 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 da. And those lizard things pop up after they wake up. Immediately attack her as she runs back to the group. And that's when the group goes. Yep, these things are dead. And they go about their way to kill all these lizards. At the end of four rounds, one of the lizards starts to run away, and James, playing Mercer, says, uh, No, it's dead. I'm going to kill it. Runs up his, or moves up his 25 feet and fires off, what was it? Um, it was, uh, uh, what's that spell called? God, it's right there on the tip of my tongue. Uh, scorching Ray. Scorching Ray. And between the Scorching Ray and I think it was one of Esther's uh, magic missiles, they end up killing it. I made the comment, or Ren had asked, could Mercer have done that by himself or did I actually help do it? And I said, no, Mercer by himself with Scorching Ray wouldn't have killed it and James being James had to go oh wait I'm gonna add in my force cannon my plus d8 for the infusion on my my weapon um this this da 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 da, da the plus bonus to that I would have killed it by myself and I said yeah except you only brought that up after the fact and he had an ear-to-ear shit-eating grin on his face that said yeah I know I just wanted to fuck with you <laughs> <laughs> but after that, they actually used uh, survival checks to see if they could salvage any uh, meat off the lizard so that they had food to work with. And so they got about nine pounds of meat off of one of the lizards, which was enough to them. They didn't go for any more than that. Um, there was an encounter where they came across um, four boulders that were rolling in odd sort of square-like patterns that had old runes on them and such, and the boulders were actually for Galib Dehurs, I hope I'm pronouncing those right, that were engaged in a very unusual game. They didn't even try to bother with that. It's It was one of those, that's happening here, we're going that way, because we don't want to mess with this. Um, and then finally, they actually came across one of the encounters you stop walking around you goofball I have my dog walking around me right now and he's begging for food 
So that's his feet you hear tapping on the kitchen floor, just. <laughs> uh, but they ended up coming across. Now, the way the token thing worked, I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit. This is what I read when it first came to the tokens. Finding the tokens, the plane of the fairy is filled with twisting paths and shifting terrain. Each day that the party spends wandering the wandering around, they encounter a random fairy encounter, which I have a random table roll for a d6 that uh, discerns which one they run into. <laughs> Um, now the upside is each time they come across an encounter, they also gain a 25% chance to then run into one of the key token encounters they need to get one of the tokens. Uh, if the 25% fails, that 25% is cumulative. So what I was doing was rolling a D100, and if I rolled below that percentage number, which I did each time, it was a 25%, I rolled like a 17 and then a 2 so they got it right off the bat. But if they hadn't, uh, the 25% stacked on itself. So then it was going to be 50%. And then from there, it would have been 75%. The point was, eventually, you are going to run across these tokens. The question is, how long does it take you? Um, yeah, after each encounter, there's a 25% cumulative chance that they, run that they come across one of the three keyed token encounters. Once the token is claimed, this was the important part. Once the token is claimed, the chance of finding the next token resets to zero. So it became a consistent thing that they had to do again and again and again. The next one that they came across, the next token thing that they came across, was the Satyr's Heart Song. It was a medium-based challenge. And this part's I'm going to read to you. This was actually what I read to them and this is where the uh, comment earlier to the shell spin slide comes into play. This was absolutely hilarious. This outdoor amphitheater is set amid sprawling vine-covered ruins. Despite time not appearing to pass, it seems to be late at night here, and a great revel is taking place. So I'm going to stop right there and kind of explain this. While they're in the plane of the ferry, it always seems like it's evening, with the sun just setting. But that's 24 hours a day, however many days, a week, to a month, to a year, whatever. It just, that's how it always seems like. When they got into this area, it was as if an illusion had been surrounding around the amphitheater and the whole party and everything. It seemed more like night. And there was all these different glowing lights and everything around them. Two dozen satyrs kick up their heels and throw back their drinks alongside pixies, sprites, dryads, nymphs, and other fae. At the front, upon a stage of living flowers backlit by fireflies, satyr musicians play a rousing music surrounded by dancing crowds. Throughout the ruins are tables laden with food and wine. Now, this is the part where I'm reading, but I'm not reading this to them. It says, when the party arrives, a satyr named Raffio welcomes them to revel and asks where they found such a magnificent flying turtle. <coughs> he invites them to indulge in food, drink, and dance. 
So they immediately engage. It's a friendly little encounter. And they say, well, this is actually perfect timing because we need a satyr's heart song in order to get out of the plane of the fairy and back to the material plane, which is our overall goal right now. And it says, if the party mentions they seek a satyr's heart song, Raphael laughs, responding with, a satyr's heart song is a piece of his soul. Why should I share mine with you? Why would any satyr share their soul with you? It gives the, the party an opportunity to convince or bargain with the satyr, and Raphael plays along, seeming to entertain various offers before he admits there's only one way he might share his heart song with a mortal, if they prove their love of dance as strong as his own. So, they all have a dance-off. <laughs> you can just take a moment and think about it. Mercer, the overly frustrated, irritated, I'm going to kick you in the shins, angry little shit that he is, getting put into the middle of a dance-off. Yeah. And he did it. James played right along with it. It says that Rafio challenges the party to a dance-off. If the party accepts, Rafio calls to halt the music and formally issues a dance challenge everybody must participate squaring off against Rafio. now this is where i slightly changed it because esther was trying to be very persuasive with Rafio, and Rafio being a satyr and a woman trying to be persuasive to him immediately started to go eyebrows up got all suave and immediately hey baby what's up how you doing? <laughs> so instead of having Rafio actually do the dance-off, he was in the crowd cheering, and a different satyr, just another satyr that was there, was actually the one they were competing against. It was still indulging Rafio's love for dance, but instead of being part of it, he got to be a spectator and watch it, because he'd been dancing all night. He didn't need to be part of this, but his, his challenge still stood. It says that the dance-off takes place over four rounds, during which each character attempts to prove themselves against the other dancers. Each round has two phases, the preparation phase and the dance phase. Now, I did slightly change this. I didn't make them do a preparation phase and a dance style every single round. I gave it a preparation, and then if they made the preparation, then they just got the benefit of it to all four rounds for the dance style both james and ren were totally cool with it we were having a blast with this laughing up a storm so nobody pitched a huge huge deal out of it but as per how it's written here in the book it does say preparation phase and dance phase each round during the preparation phase and it gives you a table uh, it says each character may attempt an ability check from the preparations list to build up excitement for their performance. If they succeed, that character has advantage during the dance phase. A character can't attempt the same preparations ability check two preparation phases in a row. So, the preparations were one round of... Not a round, I should say. I shouldn't say that. Were... My little uh, uh, tabaxi friend 
Harvey is running around the floor playing with a piece of paracord. So that's what you're hearing right now is him just having a blast. Uh, the preparations were you could display your power with a an athletics check, a DC-14. You could display your flexibility with an acrobatics check at a DC-14. You could seize the initiative with an actual initiative roll um, with a DC of 13. Anticipate the other player, other people, others' moves with an insight check, DC 13. Uh, you could be boastful, that's a simple one, with a persuasion check, DC 13. Or you could try to embarrass the other dancers with intimidation and charisma 14. Basically what it was saying is if you were going to use the preparations, you had you, your best option was to pick at least two of those and rotate back and forth between the two preparation phases or the two, pre the two different skill checks each preparation phase to give yourself advantage. The dance style, you could have done the same dance style however you wanted. In this case, I told them they were going to do different dance styles because I wanted there to be a little bit more than just, okay, I do the same thing again and again and again. And it actually worked out pretty funny. The Let me get back over to here. During the, At the fourth round's conclusion, the character with the highest number of popularity points is the winner of the dance-off. Among the Fae, Rafio has the highest score of four points. If Rafio wins, he invites the party to participate in another contest in the future. I'm going to stop there and I'll go back and I'll explain the dance styles. Because they did end up winning. It was just a matter of by how much. Now the different dance styles were powerful and fierce. That was an athletics check, DC 15. Graceful and acrobatic an acrobatics check, DC 14. Fast-paced and consistent, a constitution saving throw with a DC of 12. Technical and precise with a history check. That one confused the absolute crap out of me. I have no idea how history had anything to do with that. Um, DC 14, I personally would have probably said just an intelligence saving throw not necessarily specifically a history check. Uh, instinctive and compelling insight, DC 15. And rhythmic and inspiring with a performance check, the cliche one of them all, uh, with a DC 15. So everybody gets all set up and we just went round one, round two, round three, and round four. Surprisingly, It, it didn't go as in the direction that I was thinking it might go in. Um, I didn't anticipate Zabak doing very good, but the crowd was all for being helpful by cheering them on as much as they could. Zabak uh, came in last place with uh, four points, I think it was. Esther was in third place with, uh, I think it was seven points. Mercer and Celine, those were the surprising ones. It was surprising because Mercer is not a dancer, 
but he's sitting there doing the repetitive stuff that would have been similar to like the lawnmower, the 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 sprinkler and stuff, but we were calling it the ratchet, the screwdriver, the turn the gear, and those were the type of moves he was doing. You know, he's just turning the gear. Now he's can't can't the ratchet and turn the gear, and then he would switch it into the next round with um, with technical and precise. So he was jumping back and forth between rhythmic and inspiring to technical and precise. And then did the robot because he's an artificer who builds war golems so he's building the war golem and then he's being the war golem and you just you picture this little blue rock gnome doing the robot and, and ticked off as all crap because he's just like i can't believe i'm freaking doing this crap what the hell damn it <laughs> celine now mercer ended with uh eight points Celine also ended with eight points, but she had uh, solid rolls the whole way across. Now, here was the catch. When they made these skill check rolls, if they passed the skill check, that was a point. If they passed it by more than five, that was a second point. When we got to the fourth round, I put my own little twist on it just to kind of mix it up a little bit. If they had come within if they had made it past 10, which they could have, or at least come close, I gave them an extra bonus point. And I did my own rolls along with that just to see how well it would work out. And yeah, Mercer nearly beat Celine only because of those bonus points. Um, if he hadn't gotten the bonus point, he'd have gotten seven and Celine would have won with eight. But you just you can imagine Celine being the bard that she used to be, and then having changed into a cleric, going, crap. The one time that my bardic capabilities would have been absolutely perfect, and now I can't use them. And then wins the dance off and goes, I still got it. All right. <laughs> That she ends up with, and Mercer and Celine ended up going into sudden death. So what I ended up doing was just having James roll two d20s, and whichever number was the highest, it was basically a coin toss. Whoever got the highest did a little bit of an add-on ending to their their big dance, and it was just the last minute, ba bum bum bam, and whoever got the higher roll won. In this case, it turned out to be Celine. Everybody was still cheering. Everybody was still... Now, the shell spin slide thing came in because Zabak failed completely in the first round. Passed, but only passed by a, like one or two on the second round. Passed really well by the third round and then came to the final round. And that's when they're like, come on, turtle lady, you can do this. Do the shell spin slide. I don't know how turtles dance, but come on, you can do it. <laughs> I was having fun role-playing it, and so were they, and we were just bursting with laughter left and right. I really wish the recording had worked out, because you guys would have loved hearing that. And I am so sorry that I don't have a good enough quality content to be able to give it to you. It was hilarious, and I loved it. Um, but they ended up getting the... They ended up winning the the whole competition um 
And then it goes on to say, if a character reaches eight popularity points, the satyrs are so amazed that they gift the party with their greatest treasure, an instrument of the bards. And then it says, it reads it in a different language, so if I butcher the way this is supposed to sound, I apologize. Macfurmid Sitern. I'm assuming that's how that's pronounced. I, I don't know what that is. Um, the first time a character wins or ties a dance-off, Rafio escorts them to a secluded grove and sings the most heartfelt song the party has ever heard. In this case, it was Rafio and Celine. And... Excuse me. And so Rafio played the song, and Celine was physically not just hearing the music, but seeing the music come out of the, the instrument that, that Rafio is using and kind of blends itself to her. Um, and they have the heart song at that point. When the song is over, Rafio asks if they have anything to share in exchange. The sharing of heart songs is a metaphysical event, and Rio will or Rafio will accept a song, dance, or show of affection, or any other shared experience as an offering. Celine played music back, and it, with fair warning of, I used to be really good at this, I'm not very good at this now, so I apologize, this isn't intended to be offensive, but I'm just, I'm not the bard that I used to be. Still rolled decently well, with a, I think it was like a 14 straight roll, no, no modifiers or anything on a performance check, it was actually pretty good. Uh, afterwards, Rafio bids farewell to the party and returns to the the revel after which they've received the heart song and they're able to continue their search after that they continue on their search and they come across a a group of three uh, what 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 they called some weird other type of little creature thing um that I can't for the life of me remember what on earth they were called. That's what I'm trying to find right now is what those uh, creatures... I know what their stats are supposed to be, but, oh, here it is. Fey Bear Territory. Uh, Fey Bears. But they use the stats of an owl bear. Uh, Purple-furred bears with rainbow feathers crowning their heads in place of a tail. As they attack, they ruffle their feathers with an, an impressive display. Fey bears are territorial and proud. They fight to the death in groups, but a lone bear flees to its den if reduced to 20 hit points. If the party examines the area or follows a fey bear to its den, they discover the gnawed bones of various creatures. A DC 16 perception check uncovers a corpse wearing an ermine cloak worth 150 gold and bracers with intertwined serpents working into the leather, 125 gold. A silver and turquoise chalice worth 175 gold rests in the pouch of a nearby corpse. They didn't find any of that stuff. They avoided these fey-touched bears altogether and were just like, yeah, yeah, uh, no, mm-mm. That's not going to happen. 
overall, that was the first half. That was going to be the first episode. In the second episode, I will publish next week for you. Um, Once again, I apologize because I really wanted to have that two-hour-long episode to give to you guys. Um, I love doing this. This whole thing started as a, I wonder if we can make a podcast, because we'd been playing D&D forever. And what started as a group of nine people, which was a challenge because I was the first one to DM any of the games, uh, slowly dwindled down to a group of six, I believe. Yeah, it was six. Um, And then as we moved into other games and such, I periodically was able to make it work, prevented me from being able to go every single time. Um, But our group of six dwindled into a group of five, and then that changed into a group of four, which then turned into a group of three, periodically being a group of two, Um, and then we ended up stopping for a while and just quit playing D&D altogether. And it would just be me and my wife and James and his wife. We'd get together and we would play board games and stuff, have dinner and just kind of a get-together sort of thing. But then James and I were like, we still kind of want to play D&D. But my schedule wouldn't allow for it. So we would actually get together like Monday afternoons or Tuesday afternoons, have dinner at my house and it would just be the two of us playing. And I'd do one-off games for him. He'd do one-off games for me. Um, periodically we'd have a friend who would uh, video call in and join the group or would come over and join for one or two sessions and that was a lot of fun Um, then my wife and I had bought our house and when we did I wanted to do a guys night sort of like a, a celebratory I have a house now I have my own game space area that Right now, I don't have a lot of room in, but back then I did. And so I got a hold of my brother, James, and James's brother-in-law. And all four of us just hung out downstairs, eating pizza, eating wings, <coughs> drinking soda, uh, just having a great time. We played various games, and then we jumped into the very first Voyage of the Fallen Star, the Star Tide game. Back then, it was just us playing to play. And I really enjoyed the game because each session, with how it was set up, you had a crew on a ship, and when it came time to switch things out, or if one person couldn't be there or whatever, to me it was a little bit easier to commendate the fact that some players were there, some players weren't. That quickly turned into a one-person game where it was just me and James, and James had three, three sidekicks, plus a personal NPC that I was running. Um, James would run the three sidekicks, his character, and then I would play the actual other NPC player character. And we got to the... So we got through Voyage of the Fallen Star, we got through the Blazing Isles, we did uh, the Pillar of Giants. By the time we'd gotten to the Pillar of Giants was when... Uh, my wife had joined in. So one of the sidekicks 
decided to stay on the ship and just be a crew member. This was the first time we were playing this before we started recording. At about this point was when I was talking about doing a podcast. I said, I'd like to do a podcast. I get these monthly boxes in. I think this would be the perfect game to be able to do this with. The catch is we'd have to start over because I'd want to start from the beginning and work our way through the whole game. So it was a little frustrating because James knew most of it. I knew most of it. Ren wasn't familiar with it, but we went into great more detail with the books we had played until we had gotten up to the point where we had stopped, which was the middle of the fourth book. Um, that book four is our mystery book for the podcast because that was the first time that the uh, audio content was just absolutely terrible. That time it wasn't white noise that we were hearing. It was just excessive amounts of static. It was constant fuzziness, a little bit of white noise as well, but it just, it was, it was not content that anybody would want to listen to, and it was going to be a very embarrassing situation for me to have even published it, and I didn't want to do that. I, I, I have been, and I still am very, very, um, very big into publishing episodes out and I want to bring what's best for the listeners. This isn't my best option to do a narrative like this. It doesn't get nearly as much attention as the actual episodes do cuz let's be honest, they don't. They're not as entertaining. And I completely get it. I wouldn't be entertained either, but it's the best that I have on short notice. Um I'm going to be calling it a little early tonight. I know that there's other ads, there's still the opening and the ending and stuff that's part of the episode. That's just there because that's part of every episode. But um, once again, I do want to remind everybody, my podcast currently is still open for sponsorships. Um, If you make anything for 5e content, if you make anything for other tabletop role-playing game contents, whether it's actual content... Uh, maybe it's maps, maybe it's miniatures, maybe you 3D print stuff, whatever it is. If you want to help getting advertising out, get a hold of us. The best way to contact us is through our Facebook page at the LARP channel. That's the L-A-R-P channel, all lowercase, no spaces, uh, primarily on Facebook. Message us, get a hold of us. We will get back to you. And if one of the other people in communications can't get back to you, I'll personally get back to you myself. And we'll help you advertise your business. Um, There's still the listener support, which is just a monthly little support payment that you make. Uh, It's basically a donation that comes to us and it helps us to put back into the podcast to give you a better podcast. That way we don't run into these uh, issues where I have to do a narrative because of poor recording content quality. It Literally, my setup is three TRRS microphones, a splitter for the mic, two splitters for the microphones, an extension cable so that two of the microphones can get to the other side of the table where we're recording, and a cell phone. That's literally it. And I do all the editing on the phone. I add all the background music. I add all of the sound effects, all of that stuff that you hear, everything right here, right off of this cell phone. After that, 
I have a, an adapter that I can hook up to the phone and all of the content is then transitioned from this into an external hard drive for safekeeping. And then I also have a secondary flash drive that I keep as a backup. If for some reason I need to go back and I can't find what I was using. That's all I have. That's all I can afford. And I want to be able to get a better setup so I can make a better quality podcast. I want to go that extra mile because I've been doing this for over a year. It's been a lot of fun and I don't want it to stop. Whether this is as far as it goes and I just make podcasts where I get paid a penny for the little anchor ad on them or it turns into something more. If it turned into something more, that'd be great, but it's not like it's going to diminish what I've already started if it doesn't happen. Um, And if you guys have any thoughts, ideas, opinions, preferably the positive ones, you can always comment on the the Facebook page or the Instagram page. You can find us, uh, it's the same address, at the LARP channel for either one of them. And just talk to us. Let us know how things are going. Let us know what you think. Give us some ideas, some thoughts, opinions, etc. Whatever. But until then, I hope you guys are satisfied with this. At least you're getting the base information. Next week, I will have another narrative that I will give to you. You'll get the second half of what we did in the recording, which was a much bigger thing that happened. And... um, I had just as much fun with that because of how much preparation I had put into it. Uh, I do believe I did get some pictures of that one as well. And yeah, stay safe, have fun. And in the words of Sylvester Stallone, don't forget to share.